Welcome to Joy in Learning, a podcast from the Harley School in Rochester, New York. We're an independent school for nursery through grade 12, where there's always lots of interesting learning going on for us to share with you. In this episode, I spoke with Erica and Rajesh, host of this month's Common Speaker series. We talked about the current state of journalism and the concept of fake news. Enjoy. So thanks so much for sitting down and talking with me today. Can you guys both just introduce yourselves and give a little description of your backgrounds? Sure. Um, my name is Erica Bryant. I'm a columnist and member of the editorial board at the Democrat and Chronicle. I write opinion pieces about people who are doing things in Rochester, about situations in Rochester, things that are good, things that need to be changed, um, that kind of thing. Over my career, I've covered education. I did some municipal government coverage for a while. I covered Livingston County. Uh, my first article for the paper was about bed races. I'm from Rochester, and uh, I guess that's it. Great. My name is Rajesh Barnabas. Um, I'm married to Erica Bryant. Um, I come from originally a journalism background. That was my first job out of college, small newspaper. I was a photographer and then a reporter and eventually assistant editor. It was a small newspaper. And uh, then I, I wanted to get into teaching. And so I went into teaching pretty much on and off. That's what I've been doing for the last decade. Um, city school district mainly. And currently I am a uh, producer and director for Rochester Community Television, uh, which is a public access channel. And we do um, a lot of trainings, media training, media literacy for youth and adults in the community. Okay, great. Thank you. So uh, now we talked a little bit before we started recording uh, that one of the ideas that we wanted to talk about was the concept of fake news, but that that's a bit of a hot button issue. So we're going to we're going to talk a little bit more about journalism and, and how we can consume news responsibly and critically. So um, I, I guess the, the first question that I'd like to ask is how does what is being referred to now as fake news impact our civic life today? So we can look at it as the idea of slanted news. How, do, how does that affect our, our civic lives? To start. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, first I think um, there's a, we have a whole bunch of different kinds of fake news. So fake news, when Donald Trump talks about it, basically means any story that's bad about him that he does not like. Um, fake news, when you're talking sort of about the proliferation of online stories, there are stories that came up in the, in the presidential campaign that were actually fake and were shared and read by millions and millions of people. Um, specifically, what I'm thinking about is about Hillary Clinton and she was involved in some murder or whatever. And so millions of people are reading the story and it's got, you know, it's set up such that it looks like it is, comes from a legitimate news organization. But it was completely made up by, I think it was a 20-year-old or some kid who made hundreds of thousands of dollars off the ads that he was able to sell because so many people were clicking on his story, which was completely and totally fabricated. So you have to watch out for that kind of stuff, which is completely false. And then also there there is slanted news and there's sort of advocacy journalism or political journalism where you know that the news source has a specific political agenda and they're publishing stories that 
may not be directly false, but they only include details that are going to support the idea that they were already trying to push. So if they come up with a quote or a study or something that is against their you know preconceived idea, then it's not going to be included in the article. So it's hard to sort of you, you really have to be careful when you're reading today to make sure that um, you're, you're reading a variety of sources and that sources that you can trust. Great. So we live in a time when even video and photo footage can be faked. Uh, how can people know what sources they can trust? So I guess I would go towards me. Um, I mean, there's the, uh, there's the overt kind of Photoshopping and... Um, you know, manipulation of video and photo that can easily be done by kind of Joe on the street now because the software and everything has come down in price. So I would say you can't trust um, what you necessarily see today coming from, you know, just random sources on the internet. But there is a really um, professional vetting process for AP f photographers I know. And so if, if there's and um, other other well-established photography um, outlets where it's totally, you know, against against all the rules to manipulate uh, the photos and um, videos is another thing. Uh, I mean, video more the manipulation has to do with editing, like what you keep in and what you you know, what you don't include in your your article, per se. And so that gets back to the whole uh, question of writing and editing, too. Like, what do you in include in your article? And so you can manipulate the story that way. So uh, there aren't that many um, trusted sources, but I, I would argue that there never were that many trusted sources. So you really have to do a lot of research. And it's, there's no skipping steps to that. It, it takes a lot of primary source searching and even calling people up and finding out, verifying your own sources yourself. So the role of journalism has, has definitely changed, uh, you know, since you guys have started in it and I started in journalism. Uh, it, it has changed quite a bit. Can you talk about how being, journal, how being a journalist is different now than it was two, five, ten years ago? Oh, sure. Um, I remember when I started, the only tools you had were basically, you would go out with your pen and your notebook, and then you would come back, you'd write the story, and it would go in the newspaper the next day, and online was sort of an afterthought. And things have changed so much, and I've been working, what, 13 years? Things have changed so much in terms of the day-to-day -day expectations and also opportunities, because we have so many more tools than we used to have in terms of um, information gathering tools, in terms of data things that you can use to pull data and compute it and make sense of it and even just uh, even video like if you had told me when I first started I went in as a newspaper reporter if you had told me that I was going to be producing videos I would have said you were crazy but they said to do that or they'd fire me and so now I <laughs> now I'm, I'm you know I'm, I'm joking to a certain um a certain degree but it's true like you have to have the mastery of many more um, tools than just just writing now. See, we are taking our own pictures. We're using iPhones to shoot video. I mean, there's it's a lot more. Um, there's a lot more different paintbrushes, I guess you'd say, in the palette, which is awesome 
in in one respect because there are certain things that you can t- you can capture with a video or you can capture with a photo that you just that aren't as well portrayed through a sentence and um, I think vice versa in terms of information you can get certainly a lot more information if you're writing something but or data if you're writing something but to have all of those tools is is really a gift um, one thing bad that has happened is that the financial model that supported journalism has exploded basically um, when I came in, the newsroom was maybe twice the size that it is now. I mean, we've had simply just tons of layoffs, and this has happened at newspapers across the country. I think that we made some list for, uh, it says newspaper reporters like the worst job in America now because because <laughs> of the, I, I mean, I totally disagree with that. I think it's fun and it's a, it's a great job, but in terms of the, the uncertainty, the career outlook uncertainty, the demands, because people are doing much more work than they than they used to do, before it was common for a new reporter to cover one suburb, so I would cover Arondequoit, say, and now you can have a new reporter covering half the county and then many, many other things because there's just so, there aren't as many of us as there used to be. So on the one hand, we have more tools and that's great, but on the other hand, the internet we did we have we're still reckoning with the effects of the internet to support the kind of work that we do because it's expensive to have a person read through you know. 20 years worth of city documents to put together a story. And, um, and the New York Times is going through this. I mean, they've had they've had to shut down bureaus and foreign different foreign bureaus and things. I think right now they only have one foreign bureau in the entire continent of Africa. And so there's, there's just a lot of, there's been an expansion, but also a contraction, so. So how do you think that the, um the shrinking of the traditional outlets like the New York Times and our local paper, how do you think that has affected the slant in, in journalism and, and the proliferation, proliferation, oh, I can't say that, proliferation <laughs> of what we're calling fake news? There, there was, I would say a decade ago, it seemed like media, there was media conglomeration. So the big companies like Time Warner, ABC, um, we're all kind of scarping up. Is that a word? Scarping up, but all the, all the all the all the smaller outlets. Um, so so there was that so that merger of a lot of different companies. But now there's been kind of a decentralization um, as of recently, and and I think that's good for journalism to not have like major gatekeepers like control thought. Um, control the publication of thought in, in, in this country or elsewhere. Um, so I think that's a good trend. But at the same time, you have that uh, a, a new kind of judgment process needs to be taken place with all these kind of people, the people publishing. Um, there's got to be some type of vetting process. And so I think we're in this no man's land of journalism right now. And it's exciting, but at the same time, it's trepidatious and we're getting this fake news kind of thrown about this this term, and that's what, that's what that no man's land is. Producing. And I think we're going to come out okay. I've gone through sort of dips, and sometimes I get really sad and depressed, and then other times I'm excited and think everything is going to work out. Because in, in my heart, I believe that people are always going to have a value for information and have a value for important stories and put some value on it, and somehow it's going to work out in some form and it won't look like it did 
you know, when I started, but journalism, I mean, at some point the printing press was invented, you know, at some point uh, technology changes things and there's pros and cons. I hope you're right. <laughs> and I, I think that that, that well, does. What do you think? I mean, do you well, think? No, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily disagree with you. Uh, my concern right now is more how we, especially from the, the, the standpoint of an educator, we work with our students and, and try to teach them about evaluating news sources and how to be critical in news sources. And when we're so spread out like we are now, the, the larger, more trusted sources are, are dying out and all these other smaller sources are popping up. Um, and within those, we're starting to get that, that idea of fake news. So how, how would you guys suggest that we help to educate our students and our listening public as to how to, to be critical and uh, how to try and suss out those stories that are not fake. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that, I don't think, I, before you had like three fake people telling you the fake news. Now you have 30 people telling you fake news. In, in, in essence, I, I just don't think that we've entered any new new paradigm. I think that the delivery of news, whether it's through Walter Cronkite and Dan Rather, Arguably, if you look back, is is just as fake as some of the current sources that are considered, you know, outliers in the media world. So, I think it what you have to teach your student is to digest as many different voices as possible and see which one makes the most sense to them. Um, and don't don't judge media by however many people are clicking or subscribing or or you know watching that's not that's not where truth is historically truth is on the outside for example frederick douglas no one wanted to publish his newspaper he had very little financing but turns out almost everything that he was talking about in that newspaper was truthful in the in the trajectory of history so i think yeah you have to but you you won't know what is true or not unless you digest a lot of different voices out there and you know and that takes work you know and mm -hmm. that's one of the things that we're going to try to get into in our talk is is talking about the history of journalism and how um Rajesh actually gave me a book for Christmas one time about the history of civil rights reporting and if you go back and read some of the reporting that was done about civil rights uh protests and things it's, it's really scary um for me it is as a journalist because Right now, when you read it from the you know safe spot of fifty years ago, or fifty years in the future history, you say, "Oh, these the protesters were wonderful. They were so brave. You know, this was such a wonderful thing. Nonviolence, Martin Luther King." But if you read what was written about him at the time, or even if you read about what was written about Nelson Mandela in maybe like nineteen eighty nine or 19, you know in the early times, like the the way that they were speaking about these people and the coverage that they got was very very negative, and so. It's important to say, even if you are reading something in the New York Times, read what the New York Times wrote about Martin Luther King. Read what the New York Times published about Nelson Mandela. Like, read what the so-called trusted news sources of the day were saying about people like Frederick Douglass and people who now we hold up as heroes, but at the time, you know, they're they're not considered they're, they're people that the media treated very badly. So mm -hmm. I always I, I try I mean I try to do to think about how something that you write or that something that you're working on will look 50 years in the future, because it's easy to say it's easy to say now oh obviously segregation is bad or obviously slavery is bad but what's going on now that 
we are going to, the people in the 50 years in the future are going to look back and, you know, read and say, how could they have accepted that? Or how could they have written these sort of balanced and fair, you know, fair and balanced articles um, about things that now we see as so obviously immoral? I think that's a yeah. great way to look at and, it. And another, you know, exercise is to read stuff that is going to upset you, upset your your typical opinions about something. Try to read what you don't typically read. You know, just, I mean, that's just a good, like, we're always listening to, like, I'll turn turn on the radio and it'll be, you know, some radio station that I don't typically listen to and Erica will have it on, you know, so. And, and he's, talk, think, he's talking about Rush Limbaugh. I listen to Rush Limbaugh. And, and Bob Lonsbury. Bob Lonsbury. So, I do, because, you know, I. Yeah. So I it's. Wanna, <laughs> you want to know the enemy. I want to know the enemy. Well, I, that's what I was going to say, but no, I didn't want to say no. enemy. <laughs> but, I mean, everybody has something to offer, you know, whatever perspective. And you can learn from how they deliver their message. And also, another, from a teaching standpoint, it's, you know, like, I'll just give you an example. There was this time when. I, I did most of my teaching by handouts and overheads. And then there came about five years ago, a student said to me, um, I can't read from a handout. Can you can you put it on the overhead or can you put it um, on the computer projector? I, I just don't read from the handout. So it's like switch. Like the kids today really do not want the traditional kind of in your hand print. They're, they're reading it at a different level. But but the key is to make sure that they're reading in depth and the, the quantity, you know, we're in the Twitter world too. So that's another thing. They're still going to have to go to the stacks metaphorically. Like we used to go in the depths of the library, the microfiche, you still have to do that digitally. You still have to go to the root sources, you know, and I think that's, that's something that can still be learned by the, this generation. And that I think is the thing that's scariest to me in terms of this the digital revolution is the attention span at the sort of lack of attention span that I think that these devices are creating in us because I have noticed definitely in the last couple of years like I'll get emails and comments from people who it is like completely obvious that they have not read what I wrote they read the little thing that comes up in Facebook where it's the headline and that's it and then, but they, despite that, they'll spend more time writing me an angry email about the article that they didn't read. And I can't, I, I can't understand that impulse to write someone about something that you didn't actually read. But I think that they, they make a snap judgment on what I said based on the only that one small sentence that you can see over the little picture when it comes up, you know, somebody has shared such and such from the DNC. And I am hoping that the students, that your students, and that people will still be able to to read, and I'm not, I'm not <laughs> you know, to read longer things. And I'm not just saying that as a person who produces, like, what I love to do is to produce longer, sort of longer, drawn out pieces. Um, but I don't necessarily have faith in that because I mean, people used to be able to memorize the Odyssey, and nobody could do that anymore. I mean, we don't, our brains cannot. I, uh, maybe they could. I don't know if I if I had to do it, maybe, but. It's not normal, and I just hope that we don't ever get to the point where it's not normal to be able to to read a 500-word column, you know, where we can only read 140 characters before our brains just tap out. <laughs> well, I know that I am personally guilty of skimming headlines, so I, I will take that advice, and hopefully our students will as well. So I want to thank you guys for sitting down and chatting. I am super excited for your talk in a couple weeks. I can't wait to hear it. And again, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks. Thank you. 
Thanks for joining us today on Joy in Learning, the Harley Schools podcast. We look forward to sharing interesting stories, discussing educational topics, and exploring ideas with you on our next episode. See you again soon. Thank you.